Hi, this is Scott Galloway, NYU professor, best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, and the host of the PropG Markets podcast. For nearly two years, PropG Markets has brought listeners unfiltered analysis on high-flying stocks, burgeoning sectors, stupid acquisitions, and master of the universe CEOs. Starting May 20th, PropG Markets is launching a new feed with two episodes per week. What a thrill! The good news? I know how to get your rich. The answer... It's on Prop G Markets. Don't miss out. Listen and subscribe to Prop G Markets wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What's up, everyone? Jose Young's here for MAFight.com with another episode of the A-Side. Sorry, we're one minute late. You can blame me this time. It's never yes. me. It's, it's literally never me. It's always Pizzi. But this time it was me because, and I keep hitting my microphone. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, hey, it's a new day. I just got back from Manhattan a few days ago. My brain was a little fried, but we're, we're powering through. But as you can see, the man to my left, I think your right. Yes, my left, your right is Pizza Carol. Pizza, what's up? Is, does this work if I turn around like this and every time we're in the same room and I'm like, yeah, I agree with you, Jose. Does that, does that work? Am I doing it right? I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Yeah. We can pretend we're in the same room. That's what I like about this. Because hey. it's miserable in Ireland. I do anything to be in Arizona. No, you don't. There's a heat wave going on in Arizona right now. Yesterday was 115 degrees. So nice. <laughs> Cozy. <laughs> so nice. I walked out to the to the gas station and I lost like 10 pounds walking like half a block. My employer should move there if that's the case. You know what I mean? Hey, you know who Get lives here? to do all those camps over there. Henry Cejudo trains here. Paulo Costa trains here. The Pitbull Brothers train here. So Arizona's oh, that's a, that's running through things. But as always, yeah. this is the A-side. This is not our show. This is your show. You can ask us whatever. No, it is our show. It's oh. our show. It's Sorry. your show, PC. Ahead, you're, the, you're the star here. People clamor for you. Uh, look, autographs are 15 quid each. And, um, you know, you'll get them when you get them. But send the money first. I don't know what a quid is, but I'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> But as always, you can use hashtag the A-Side on Twitter. You can leave a comment in the comment section uh, on the site. And the green ones will obviously get priority. And I am super prepared. And I have all of your questions up right now. So we're going to start right off the bat. Pizzi, Reyes versus Weidman. Five rounds in Boston. Title implications from our friend LFNWA. I'm from the Boston area. And I got to say, I am not stoked on this fight at all. I believe Zabit versus Cater should be the main event. Weidman has one victory in two years and only two victories in four years. And every loss he has, he's been finished. IDK, if you've seen it, IDK, if you've seen him on social media, but dude is fat now. Well, that's not very nice. Clearly been enjoying his time away from the sport, neither here nor there. The light heavyweight division is still remarkably shallow, so much so, that, that Reyes is, is talking about getting a title shot off a victory from Weidman. Weidman, of course, talking about his past delusions of grandeur and trying to insert himself into fight talks with Boss Jones. Clear this up for me. Why Why is this a good fight slash main event worthy? And are there really title implications on the line? So, uh, I don't know if you saw Pizzi, but Dominic Reyes was backstage at UFC 241 in Anaheim as one of those guest fighters. And he dropped more than a couple hints that him and the UFC have some sort of agreement that if he does beat Chris Weidman in, U in the main event of UFC Boston, he, did, he basically said he was getting a title shot without saying those exact words. Uh, and we would try and press him, and he'd just be—he would just kind of like next question, move on, this and that. But he dropped many a hint. Uh, someone presented—I know you're going to bring his name up. 
Someone presented the, the, the possibility of Johnny Walker possibly leapfrogging Dominic Reyes with a win at Madison Square Garden. And Dominic Reyes seems kind of taken aback. He's like, what do you mean he's going to leapfrog me? Like, I'm higher ranked. I'm going to beat a former champion, this and that. So what is your take on Dominic Reyes' fight against Chris Weidman? Is it a good main event? And does he deserve a title shot off a win over Chris Weidman? I guess uh, they have to present the illusion of uh, massive consequences if they are going to make it a main event, right? Like, they need to portray that this is a massively important fight. But um, I really felt as though, and, and you already said, I really felt as though Anderson and Walker was going to determine the next guy. And uh, Reyes has been on a great run. There's no doubt about that. But he didn't exactly set the world on fire with that Volkan Ozdemir win. Like, that wasn't a, a terribly eventful fight. Uh, that's his last win. Um, he, he's on it. Like, I mean, that would be six straight wins in the UFC if he if he beats Weidman, which is very impressive. And and we also have to remember, like, what what is Roy Weidman? He's a former middleweight champion. When we had Luke Rockhold make the jump up, it, it seemed like everybody was immediately happy with if he beats Jan Blakovich, he's going to go straight into a, a title kind of situation with Jones. So, yeah, okay, uh, Chris Weidman hasn't had the best uh, run of late, but he's still a former champion. And, and realistically, there isn't any valid kind of um, counterparts for Jones in that title conversation at the moment. So it, it, it certainly seems as though the winner of either Reyes v. Weidman or Walker v. Anderson will be his next fight. And I mean, who 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 else should be screaming from the rafters and saying, like, oh, this guy should get in? Because I, I don't see it. I think, Why not have these two? I think the only thing, and this other name was presented as Dominic Reyes, and he didn't seem too concerned about it, is possibly Jan Blachowicz, who just knocked out... Yeah. Um, Luke Rockhold, who Tiago Santos had beat to get the fight against John Jones, when that name was presented with Dominic Reyes, he didn't. He said that one was fine because John wants to fight in December, and Dominic Reyes' fight is in October, so he would only have to like mm. wait a month or so to see how that plays out. So then John Jones, or the winner of that fight, and Dominic Reyes would essentially be on the same timeline. So he goes, my next fight after Chris Weidman is going to be for the title. If he wants to defend right. it around when I'm fighting, that's fine because I already have a fight booked. So he didn't really seem to mind if Jan got the next fight and then he fight the winner of that fight, uh, just simply because it would be they would all be on the same timeline. But again, Johnny Walker would have the same thing. Or Corey Anderson. If Corey Anderson goes out there and beats Johnny Walker. Why wouldn't he get a title fight? I mean, he seems to be yeah, kind of picking at John Jones 100%. on social media. So uh, I think the Luke Rockhold thing was a little interesting simply because of the history with Luke Rockhold and Daniel Cormier and Daniel Cormier and John Jones was like that that built-in uh, storyline, but Do Dominic Reyes seems to, has, he seems, he, he drops many a hint that his next fight would be a title fight if he beats Chris Weidman, and he also said he had no idea Chris Weidman would even be a possibility. Yeah, well, I mean, like, if, if, if Blakovich is, is a valid option here, um, Reyes has to be. Blakovich is on a one-fight win streak. He was coming off a loss to Thiago Santos. I mean, like if, if 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 we're okay with Jan, we've got to be okay with either Reyes, yeah. Reyes and Walker and Anderson. So yeah, I feel like it's just a very thin division. A win is huge. If you can get a win over a ranked opponent that low heavyweight, you're right into that conversation. So I mean, that's just the situation we're in. And personally, I wouldn't even mind if they did go with Reyes, Blakovich, and left Walker kind of simmering in the background. Because one thing we haven't seen for a while is, especially at light heavyweight. Is a guy just running through people and everybody going, when is he going to fight for the title? When is he going, you know, and, and getting that excitement onto another level. So when it eventually happens, I was like, yes, here it is. Because I can't see many of them fights now for John Jones. Like Santos, 
after the fact, in hindsight, it was tremendous. But there was no one going, oh, Jesus Christ, this is it. This is Jones' biggest test ever. It was, but it didn't have that build-up. It didn't have that anticipation. And maybe if they left Johnny Walker and let him continue to uh, fight his way to the top of the division, it would kind of generate that kind of real, um, you know, huge anticipation in the fan, fan base. I agree 100%. I mean, I, I was talking to Casey Lydon, our cameraman, and he compared Johnny Walker's rise to Francis Ngannou's where he kind of kicked the door in and, not, and finished all of these, these, these fighters in tremendous, violent, quick fashion. And then he got that title fight, and he clearly wasn't ready for it. And then he goes back to the drawing board, and, yeah. and now he's, pro he's, in my opinion, the number one contender heavyweight. But then at the flip side, I don't want to see another Brandon Thatch, where he comes in with all this fanfare, gets back-to-back -back knockouts, and then falls to Benson Henderson right away and never really recovers. I believe he lost to uh, Gunnar Nelson on that UFC yeah. 189 card. So it's we've you seen both. Submission. Beautiful. Yeah, that's right. It's it's uh, we've seen a lot of prospects come and rise through the ranks and then fall short. But Johnny Walker, like a win over Khalil Roundtree, yeah. is no joke. A win over uh, Misha Serkinov is no joke. So he's not beating other prospects. He's beating these guys who have been in the octagon for a while. Well, what what about the fact that if, if Walker beats Anderson, for me, that's a bigger win than Reyes beating White. A hundred percent. The only thing is Dominic Reyes made like depend. I think again, it really depends on how it plays out. Like if Dominic and, Reyes and Anderson beat Anderson beating Walker is a bigger win than either direction there as well. To be honest, I agree. If I'm John, if I'm John Jones, I probably I would. And, and this is the this is the the scenario I have in my head. I probably fight Jan Blachowicz in December, and then the either one of the winners of those two fights, the Walker. Um, Anderson or Reyes Weidman, like those four would be on my timeline now. So maybe I'd fight Blachowicz first and then watch those two fights and fight the winner, one of the winners of those two. Uh, just be, I don't know when, maybe March. He seems to like fighting in March or April or, or something. I think it depends on where it would be or who knows. But I think if I'm the UFC and John Jones, I kind of have that situation play out. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Moving. I think we concisely answered that question there, just, just <laughs> to say, just to give our, ourselves a pat on the back there. I think we we did well there. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, UFC. But moving on from another question from LFMWA. And again, you can ask these questions in the comment section. And the ones that are green and highlighted with the most recommendations get priority. Doesn't mean they're going to get asked, but I'll look at them first. Habib's stardom, stretching, stretching him too thin. I think Dustin will beat Habib. Hard to believe he's, we're only 17 days away now from the title clash at Abu Dhabi. Seems to be flying under the radar, even with all of the traveling, oligarchs smoozing, and baby kissing Habib has been doing. In interviews <laughs> leading up to this fight, Habib said the Poirier matchup doesn't motivate him, that he doesn't see any real challenge or peaks to climb, climb in the sport. What do you make of Dustin's chances? I don't believe Habib, Habib W is a foregone conclusion. I think that, like, and I really like that Dustin Poirier's chances here. Okay, do you, do you feel a change in the now championship Habib's mentality? But Pizza, you're going to be at Abu Dhabi, correct? Mm -hmm. So yes. I would love to get your uh, thoughts on this, especially because Habib uh, does have ties to someone that, from your neck of the woods, has Habib stardom stretched him too thin? Do you feel like it's hard to compare his last fight against Conor McGregor to this because any any fight Conor McGregor's in is going to be the biggest thing happening in combat sports? But what do you make of the buildup? to this fight, is it actually flying under the radar? No, well look, last time I was on this, uh, I believe we were talking about how it appeared as though Nate Diaz's return was floating under the radar, but we knew on fight week, once that got kicked off, it would he'd blow the doors off it. And that's the same way as I feel. This is just the way MMA is. Too much is happening on a weekly basis for people to kind of, 
you know, focus in on this card that's happening down the line and stuff like this. It, it, it all happens too quickly. Um, so look at what Nate Diaz did there. It's the most viral weekend, I think, all year in the UFC. So, I mean, I, I do feel as though the Abu Dhabi event is going to put Khabib on a different pedestal. It's going to be almost like, I, I really believe this, I, I think it's going to be the closest he will get to something like Connor fighting in Dublin, Till fighting in the UK. Um, I, I spoke to Nazrat Hakparast, who, uh, who, whose parents were born quite close to Abu Dhabi. They were born in Afghanistan. And he said... Um, He's a Muslim man himself, and he was he was telling me like the the interest that Khabib has stimulated in in, in that part of the world is unbelievable. And he goes, he's gonna really look like a superstar over there. Like this is the closest we're gonna see to Khabib compete on home terrain, uh, just due to the support he's getting. And I think it's huge, and I think that's gonna be a massive obstacle for Dustin. Do I think Dustin is an amazing fighter? Yes. Do I think his style suits Khabib a lot? Yes. And um, I don't think. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a very serious challenge, but I, I disagree in that. Uh, I do feel as though could be able to get the win that night. Yeah, and I don't know. It's hard to say it's, if it's flying under the radar simply because, like, is it, is it, is is it different, different starting, starting time? time? Do, do I, I, do I, I remember, remember that correctly? Yeah. 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 So, so I think it's, it's going to start at, like, 2 p.m. Uh, east, east Coast. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So I don't, I don't, I don't hate, hate that, that at all. all. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, like... I think, I think the, the co-main, like, like that, that UFC 229 card was so massive in terms of the co-main event, too, because you had Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis on the card. You had, like, the Michelle Watterson, Police Harry Good, Derek Lewis on that card. Uh, there were a lot of really high-quality fights on that card as a whole, and then the main event just happened to have Conor McGregor and Khabib in, the, the, like, the most hype fight in UFC history. What's the co-main event for 242 at the moment? Is it the Curtis Blades fight? Oh, really? That's, That's the coming event. I actually really like that fight. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it, it just feels, feels like... like it's still like, you're right that it's a light card. Like, there, there, isn't, there isn't fights from the main card, card off that you're going, oh my God, I can't wait to see this. It, it, it isn't one of those. I, I do agree with you there. Yeah, yeah so, so it's... it's I don't, I don't know. know. I, it's, it's obviously, obviously, I think, I think it's, it's one of these fights that, that the main event is the selling one. It's Habib and Dustin is the biggest fight on the card. Like, obviously, I think that could be one of the best lightweight fights, and like competitively, we've seen in a very, very long time. I think outside of Habib versus Tony, I think Habib versus Dustin would be the fight I would most want to see, especially because of Dustin's run through the division. I mean, you and I had this conversation a few weeks ago where if Dustin Poirier does win, is this the greatest stretch of victories in lightweight history? And we both agree that, that if it's not the greatest it's way up, up there but he has to be Habib Nurmagomedov first but Habib doesn't, doesn't seem like you were at the press conference correct the first one yes and he, he did say like this isn't a big money fight for me like the only reason I'm fighting him is because he has an interim title so it's uh if Habib's not selling is Habib's name big enough to sell a pay-per-view if he's not talking if he doesn't have bad blood with his opponent I think it yeah, I do. I, I do believe on the back of the, the McGregor thing, and with that, it's still kind of simmering in the background, I guess. Um, even though Conor doesn't look like he's anywhere near a, a fight conversation at the moment, but uh, I, I do feel as though on the night it will look huge. And um, the one thing I took from Khabib at that London press conference was he really has that championship aura about him. Like I can remember seeing Aldo at the peak of his powers at featherweight. And, and noticing that kind of regal aura they give off. Joanna, when she had just been crowned strawweight queen, um, you know, Connor, and when he got the belt and when he was had the 55 belt, he, he was just, he gave off, he exuded this kind of aura. And I, I think that's where Khabib is at the moment. And 
I found it interesting, like, you know, as much as he does respect Dustin, like, he was kind of saying, like, you know, look what look what Johnson did to this guy, Michael Johnson, and look yeah. what I did to Michael Johnson. You know, like, and, you know, when you, when you break it down to those two fights, it, okay, you can probably say that, but, I mean, Poirier's run since then has been absolutely astronomical, so it would be very foolish of him, and I don't believe he is overlooking him because you don't get to 27-0 in your career by overlooking guys. Yeah, I don't think he's overlooking Dustin Poirier one bit. Dustin Poirier is obviously training like he's it's the biggest fight of his life. Dustin Poirier is one of, is one of those fighters that you hear stories about in the gym. Like he's he lives in that gym and he's he's working extremely hard. I just I don't think. Do you think it'll do bigger numbers than two forty one though? Because I don't. Oh no, no, no! Like just just on the timeline itself, like the fact that it's happening earlier in the day for you guys, that kind of loses a bit of magic yeah. to it as well. You know, when you don't have it at night time, when, when your day, when that's not going to be pretty much the, the climax of your day is watching this big title fight. Like, I mean, it'll probably be, what, 7 p.m. or something on the East Coast or something when this is going down. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't I don't believe it will. But what I do believe it will do is portray Khabib like a superstar. Let people see how much, how he, how he's so beloved in that part of the world. Like, I mean, what were the pay-per-view numbers for UFC Dublin in 2014? Nada, because it was on Fight Pass. And it created the biggest star in mixed martial arts history. That's a so good I think it point. Has a different function than selling, selling fucking pay per views. You know what I mean? That's a really that's an excellent point. It's just the image of seeing Habib in, in that hero's welcome. I think, and I would not related, but I would like to get your opinion because I talked about this. We've obviously seen Conor lose a handful of times, like to Habib, to Nate Diaz, to Conor, to Floyd Mayweather. But he hasn't really lost the aura of being this big, invincible fighter. Do you think it's because we don't have an image of him laid out on the canvas, like just knocked dead or TKO'd? All of his losses, lost to Floyd, he didn't fall. It was the referee stepped in against the ropes. And then his two fights against Nate and Habib were submissions. But we don't have an image of Connor sprawled out on the canvas, unconscious, bloody, yeah. like defeated. Do you think that is in, plays that plays into the factor of he's still viewed as this invincible warrior that could just beat anybody. I think he's losing it, to be honest. Um, I think he's losing that because just because of everything that's happening. Like, I mean, um, his behavior outside of the octagon is more is nearly more infamous than his, his uh, credentials inside it. And I think the more that happens, it's it's like we were talking about with BJ Penn. When the first thing people don't say, like, what, if it's not the first thing you say when you see Conor McGregor, there's the double champion. Then you're you're starting to lose that steam, and I don't know if that's what people say straight away when they see Conor McGregor after all the things that have been happening, and um, all the controversies, etc. Like I think for Conor to get back to where he was, to have that invincibility, he needs to go back in and fight, and he needs to win a big fight. And I know people will say, oh, that's that's not going to excuse what he did to that man, allegedly did to that man in a pub or whatever. But look at what Tiger Woods did, and then he wins the Masters, and he's the the king of the world. Then look at what Tyson Fury on all his controversies. Yeah. Then he goes in and he has that fight with Deontay Wilder. He's the king of the world. Sport is so forgiven, man. It's what have you done for me lately. And I think the only way he can save the ship now is by fighting again. Well, I'm, I know we're going to have questions for you about Conor McGregor, so I'll hold those questions yeah. off. Uh, but moving on and from... People be, telling me, people be telling them I'm a fanboy in the comments all the time. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Man? Hey, man, why uh, watch the video when you... Why watch the episode when you can just make assumptions on what PT's going to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Connor. <laughs> oh, God. Don't say that because then people are going to clip that, That's take that one clip. People will take that one clip and throw it all over social media. But moving on from Sinner88, evening, gents. Flyweight title picture. 
Dana said last night, the King of Cringe must defend the flyweight belt in his next fight against Joseph Benavides or give up the titles. What do you think the likelihood of him going back down to 125 to defend is? I've got a feeling he would rather give up the 125 belt in the hopes of landing a bitter, bigger fight with one of with one of the favorite crews or other top contenders at 135 next year. Thoughts? Also, when is Niall McGrath's turn on the A-side? Cheers. I would love to have him on. Maybe you can make an appearance with Pizzi sometime as Eurobash co-host. He need, we need a loyal person just doing subtitles. <laughs> and we need to keep him sober for an hour. I was so gonna say if he doesn't show up, some if he doesn't show up intoxicated, then is he really on the A side? But Pizzi, uh Dana White did say in the scrum of the, the the contender series yesterday that he wants to see Cejudo defend his 125 pound belt. Cejudo has been saying he wants these bigger fights, and I actually do agree with his commenter. If he's gonna give up one of the belts, it's gonna be the 125 pound title. Uh, he sat next to Uriah Faber at UFC 241. They did like a mock stare down. He called out Dominic Cruz. He has Jose Aldo now calling him out to come. Jose Aldo wants to drop down to 135 to fight him for his one of his titles. So he's even calling out Valentina Shevchenko the inter, for the intergender championship of the world. But someone he's not calling out is Joseph Benavidez. And I actually spoke with him on the red carpet before the UFC Hall of Fame. And he said it's. I asked him. I go, why aren't you calling out Joseph Benavidez? And he goes. I that loss doesn't bother him. Like he did lose to Joseph Benavides, but he doesn't like the loss of Demetrius Johnson ate away at him and kept him up at night and he worked hard to get that fight back. His loss to Joseph Benavides doesn't bother him. It was three rounds, he thought he won. He said Dana White thought he won. But the Benavides fight doesn't really seem to do much for him outside of like healthy competition. But as we've seen, Henry Cejudo is seems to be more interested in these big money fights and at the end of the day, he still had shoulder surgery, so he has some stuff to get checked out anyway. So what are your thoughts on Henry Cejudo's 125 versus 135 title, and which one you think he'll probably give up? Yeah, look, he'll definitely give up 125 if that's the way it's going to go. But I do think a crucial part of his new success is the fact that he has those two belts, this triple C situation, etc. He's going to waste so much money on merch alone if he just lets that belt go. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I do think it's important for his brand right now to be a, 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 a double weight champion. So I, I feel like if he wants to keep that up, if he wants to keep this cycle going and, and he's creating so much, you know, he's creating a lot of interest for himself. I think that's pretty much reliant on him being this double champion. So he's going to need to do it. And I mean, Joey B deserves it. Let's be honest, man. He's had a, he's had a crazy, crazy run. Like, and I mean, he's been right there so many times. I feel like, and I know he has fought for the title before, he has fought for a title a number of times, but it's still it's still making you a far more bona fide champion if you can go in there and take out Joey B, because it's not an easy task. So I do feel it probably needs to happen, and if he's not, if it's not going to happen yet, he's probably right, he should vacate the title. But I believe the title is so valuable to his stock at the moment that he's just going to have to do it, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I like I like that you brought I, – I didn't even think about that. But the Triple C is, is his brand now. Like if he loses one yeah. of the belts and now he's just a double champ, like that – yeah, you, you hit it on the head. The Triple C is not just a title. It's it's his brand and he wears shirts around. He wears his gold medal around. Uh, when we were at UFC 241 before the Wayans were on, you, you've obviously seen like the ESPN desk on the side. Like they were all kind of mingling – going over their notes, like some fans would like come up and ask for autographs. And Cejudo was doing like an interview with, I think, I can't remember who it was, like a Latin American uh, station or whatever. And all the fans are just chanting like, triple C, triple C, no like way. behind the thing. Yeah, so it's like the triple C brand is that important that if he doesn't want to give it up, he's going to have to fight Joseph Benavidez. And 
I'm on the record saying Joseph Benavides is the greatest fighter in UFC history to not win a championship. He's that good. He just happened to have to be in the same division as the greatest flyweight ever. And that first fight was razor thin, and then he got caught with the nice. uppercut and got knocked out. Um, and I, I think the big thing, like we've talked about this before, and I know our commenters love when we talk about it. I think George is the greatest fighter of all time simply because he avenged all of his losses. Like he lost to Matt Hughes and Matt Serra, and he went it's back important. and got him back. If Henry Cejudo got he got the Demetrius Johnson fight back, and then he goes and gets the Henry Cejudo fight back and wins, like how is like he's right that he's like one of the top three pound for pound best on planet Earth, and maybe one of the and he's already like yes one of the most talented fighters inside the octagon, but legacy wise he's gonna skyrocket up the rankings for greatest UFC fighter of all time. So I, I think, yes, the Triple C brand is great, but I think avenging that loss, it might not bother him, but I think it would be very important for the long run, for the annals of time, when, when we look back on Henry Cejudo's career. Well, I think it's going to happen. Like, if he wants to hang on to that belt, it's going to happen. You know, there's, there's no two ways about it. You're going to have to fight Joey B. And if you don't, people are going to say, remember when, when Dana told me at the fight Joey B and he didn't take the fight? That's that's what you're stuck with now. You're in that dilemma. So, you know, if it's going to be just one more fight at, at flyweight and then pack it in, fair enough. Like, I can understand. Who, who wants to get down to that kind of weight, you know? But, um, you know, this is the game that we're in, unfortunately. I also think that there's a lot more contenders at bantamweight, and they could fight it amongst themselves to figure out some... Huge. You know? Like, we're going to have a lot of fight nights in ESPN cards coming up. Like, you're telling me you wouldn't watch your Uriah Faber, Aljamain Sterling in a main event? Or, like, Dominic Cruz versus Frankie Edgar in a main event? We even Boy, got... haven't you said Peter Jan's name? Boy, Peter, you said Peter Jan's well, I was about to say, like, Peter Jan versus Corey yeah, Sandhagen? please. Focus on Europeans, please, for a second, Jose, would you? Jesus Christ. Fair play. Peter Jan versus Corey Sandhagen <laughs> is another banger of a fight. So, like, there's so many contenders at 135. There's one contender at 125 right now. He's the undisputed number one contender. So go fight him, yeah. let 135 play out, and then come up, and you'll have a clear number. Like Right now, Faber is the big money fight, but if Aljamain Sterling goes and beats Uriah Faber in like a main event, and he all of a sudden he gets that star rub, and now he's the number one contender, I like that's what I would like to see. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Peter Yan versus Aljo, number one contender fight. Just let Uriah and Frankie <laughs> fight it out. Well, instead you know that's we'll, what i go for we'll we'll move on to the hot from flyweight to heavyweight from the big oh. squish stipe dangerfield he gets no respect do you get that reference rodney dangerfield there you go you got one yeah. <laughs> mma killers mma medium pundits alike are really short changing stipe in his victory claiming dc success early in the fight should have carried him to a victory but well, we see this all the time in MMA. Fighters like Dan Darren Elkins getting badgered and brutalized until they win. Silva's comeback against Sun and Connors against Chad, etc. Where where do you fall on this spectrum? Did Stipe's win did Stipe's win the fight by beating DC or did he simply win because DC lost lost the fight? I don't really understand that question. I feel that Stipe I feel like Stipe, Stipe won the fight. He had a championship medal and smarts to adjust his game plan take punishment and execute it. I agree with this person that I think we're... I don't understand their phrasing of it. Like, did Stipe win or did Daniel lose? Like, I... He made a huge adjustment in the far round to change the fight. Like, I mean, how how, how much more can you win a fight? Like, yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was fantastic. It you you were underselling it, mate. We're not underselling it. You were. Jesus. Yeah. I think maybe, like, I when I watched that fight, it blew me away. I mean, St Daniel was... Daniel Cormier was winning the first two rounds, like, piecing him up a little bit. 
what like he obviously saw the slam he out wrestled and out grappled in the first round and the Daniel Cormier himself said he kind of fell in love with like he'd punch Stipe and he would leave like these small bruises around his face and he said he kind of fell in love with leaving marks on Stipe's face the whole fight and then that came back and to bite him in the ass and he like if you watch like you obviously weren't in the in the, in the arena but Bob Cook in Daniel Cormier's corner was having a meltdown he's like wrestle throw a kick are you even listening like he's in during no the way. fight he's like are you even listening to me right now like so Daniel Cormier said he let he did le- let his coaches down but Stipe Miocic he ate a lot of punches punches that knocked him out he ate a lot of those hooks from the break from the break landed ate a lot of shots Kate adjusted to the body and then finished Daniel Cormier off and if that's not championship mentality like I don't know what is yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was unbelievable. And the first time that uh, left hook to the body landed, I knew it changed the fight. Like the first one, I know it was about sixteen of them before anything really happened. But the first one changed the dynamic of the fight completely. You could see DC freeze after and kind of go, "Well, what the fuck was that, mate?" Right. I was not expecting that. And then it keeps coming. It keeps coming. And he obviously has no he has no um, defense, like quick in mind to to get rid of that, and it just keeps happening. I thought it was genius. I thought it was an absolutely genius move. Um, two two really good fights, to be fair, between the two of those guys. Yeah. Really, really good. And, and different, obviously, because I felt like Stipe was in the ascendancy the first time, and then he loses, and then DC's in the ascendancy this time, and then he loses. Um, tremendous. And look, Stipe's run's been unbelievable. Um, I like One thing uh, we've mentioned him already, Noel McGrath has been screaming and shouting about since the first fight was the eye pokes. And I really felt as though... Um, DC could have been warned a few more times about the. Even though I don't think he's using them to jab, he's using them to push down the hand and then to jab. It's just the look. This is what's illegal: putting your hand out like this, and that was happening a lot. Um, I understood what DC was trying to do. Maybe the, that was what the ref was thinking as well. Look, he's just trying to push down his hand so with any can jab. But there was a few pokes there again, you know. And 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 we know how much they play a big big role in fights. So. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think he's unbelievable, Stipe. The run he went on uh, while being champion, to go to Brazil to beat Fabrizio Verdun, to go in and show everybody basically how to beat Francis Ngannou, he, he's unbelievable. And then to avenge a loss, avenging a loss is so difficult. Uh, you have it in your head that you've lost to a guy and you can go in there. And, and basically he was chasing that whole fight. He was probably, I, I think he said, uh, I saw an interview, I think it might have been with Chael Sonnen or, or Ariel, where he's kind of saying he felt like he was in quicksand. Well, DC was on top of him for the first two, three rounds. And then he somehow digs it out. I think it's an exceptional performance. One of the best heavyweight performances we've seen. Um, so, yeah, I, I do praise Stipe. I hope uh, I'm getting that across there. I do think he's absolutely brilliant. And he and he's the greatest heavyweight of all time, I believe, after that. I agree. And the U, and Casey and I were talking after. like The UFC would be, it would be, to, to quote the former host of this live chat, it would be promotional malpractice if, the UFC did not bring Stipe back to Cleveland for his next fight. It would be, like, it would be idiotic. Like, you watch his, his first fight against Overeem when he won. That place would went unhinged. It was like Connor beating Diego Brandao in Dublin. Uh, so I that's that's what yeah yeah that's what I heard. I heard it was just as big as that. And you said it. You need that image of like Stipe getting that massive reaction. Him 
taking the belt from Dana's hands and handing it to his coach to put around his waist. Like you. Oh need, yeah, shit, yeah. Oh you, fuck, I remember that. That was you, cool. That was need, really cool. You need that stuff. Like he dribbled Overeem's head off the canvas. Uh, he got the CM Punk rub during that fight. You see, that was CM Punk's debut against Mickey Gall. Uh, I, I, on the this is an MMA news show that came out yesterday on our YouTube channel. I, I did the book. It's brilliant. I love it. I love it too. Congratulations, Esther and Casey. It's brilliant. I, I really I, love it. I couldn't say enough positive things about it. They work endlessly on that. But on the book it segment, I said I wouldn't hate if they did Stipe Cormier three in Cleveland in early 2020. I know you're a huge NFL fan and you love football, like American football. Um, the Cleveland Browns could actually be good this year, which obviously means so much to you. And if Stipe... They, they're usually so bad, isn't it? See, exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. I, love football. I fucking love American football. So Touchdown. If the, if, the, <laughs> if the Cleveland Browns show anything and they're good and Stipe Miocic fights Daniel Cormier around the pl NFL playoffs, like... The city of Cleveland's going to be on fire if that happens. So UFC would be absolutely foolish if they didn't go back to, to Cleveland next. Because I, I couldn't say I can't say enough positive things about Steve Miocic. I know everyone just comments or thinks we're hating on him, but I, I can't say enough positive things about him. And he enunciates things so well as well. And he had a very sweet jig at the end of his victory. Yeah, well, so we've claimed him as Irish now just because of that. We need because we only have Connor and Joe now. So we need more bodies. So uh, Stipe, we've taken Stipe. Johnny Walker said we can call him Irish for a while. Wasn't great, uh, you know? Stipe was supposed to fight Ben Rothwell in Dublin once, wasn't he? And then it fell through? Yes. And then it fell through over there. And uh, they made, I believe they made the Arlovsky fight or something. And Ben Rothwell was like, why is this fight even off? Like, I don't even understand it. Ben Rothwell actually was a huge hit with the fans that week. Like, yeah, because he still flew crazy. to Dublin. Like, he still went to the fights, right? Yeah, he like no, it got pulled on fight week, so yeah. they were all there, and then suddenly was it Arlovsky who was meant to fight, and then they made, or was it Stipe? I can't it remember. was. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Stipe versus Ben Rothwell, and then Stipe fell out, and then the new main event was Louis Smolka versus Patty Houlihan became the new main event yeah. for that card, and then Rothwell was then booked against Junior Dos Santos in Croatia, where he got like right. King Leonidas kicked back into the cage, and then. They booked uh, oh, uh, Miocic versus Arlovsky, and when he finished Arlovsky, I think it was on that January card when Robbie fought Carlos Condit, and when he finished him, he's like, give me my belt, and then they, and then the next fight was against Verdum at UFC 198. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, yeah, I remember something like this going down, because Ben Rockwell was like, what, why are they making Stipe and Arlovsky now, or, or something like this? And he goes, we're, we're just here, why don't we fight? It was a very confusing situation. And I forgot the actual question that we're answering, so you're going to have to refresh my memory. Well, I think we're going to move on because we've talked a lot about Stipe Miocic. It was all pretty much about how the media... Who's his next fight? Who's his next fight? Stipe, it's either going to be... You... It's going to be Daniel Cormier, no. three, or Francis Ngannou. Those are the only two fights that make sense. What about John Jones bypasses the whole Reyes, Weidman, Not going to happen. Walker. Not going to happen. It wasn't going to happen when it was DC. It's not going to... I don't think John Jones goes up to heavyweight unless it's Brock Lesnar. Mm, yeah, that would be that would be a cool crack actually, wouldn't it? Yeah, because yeah, John okay. Jones, yeah, is, deal with that. John Jones has reach, speed, strength. All of those are an advantage to him inside the octagon. John Jones goes up and fights Francis Ngannou. He's slower, faster, like less, like might have the same reach, but like 
He's going to have to put muscle on to fight. Like, Matt, John Jones is not going to fight Francis Ngannou anytime soon. He'll fight Brock Lesnar because he knows he can just run through him. Yeah, I, I think, like, but as well as that, does Stipe not have the right to uh, kind of dictate things a bit now? Because, obviously, when Cormier won the belt, Stipe just wanted that rematch, and it didn't happen. He's already one-sided, completely um, overwhelmed Ngannou. So is he in the position to say now, well, why, why, do, why do I have to do a rematch with Ngannou immediately, you know? Well, who, who would, who's next to heavyweight? Like, the winner yeah, of... Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but, I mean... Uh, like, sure, we interviewed uh, Fernand Lopez before that weekend, and he was saying, like, you know, Ngannou beats either of these guys so easily, but it's it's going to be hard to convince Stipe of that after the first fight, right? Like, there's no doubt that the danger is still there, it's, and it's apparent, and it's evident to everyone. But, yeah, I guess there is no one else, isn't there? I guess the, you're the right win, there. The only other one would, like, if the winner of uh, Ivanov and Derek Lewis in Madison Square Garden, like, say Stipe Miocic does the rubber match against Daniel Cormier in early 2020, Maybe Francis fights the winner of Derek Lewis Ivanov for the cement himself to stay active because I know he probably want that Derek Lewis fight back because that was a stinker and he lost and then if Blagoy Ivanov wins what's so that's like three two three three wins in a row against Rothwell tied to Ivasa and Derek Lewis so maybe if Francis wants to stay active he fights the winner of that but last I heard he was going to be in the new Fast and Furious movie so he might have his hands full too. I think Ivanov's going to shock a lot of people against Lewis. I agree. Really he fought. Uh, separate, separate I believe. <laughs> he, he, fight, he fought Junior Dos Santos like a torn meniscus. I heard or something like that. So he wasn't that was his even. Debut, a, right? Yeah, that was his debut in uh, uh, what Boise, Idaho, or something crazy like that. Yeah. <laughs> they stuck him over there. Great but, spot. Great spot. Yeah, you tell me about Boise, Idaho, sometime, Pete. Outside of the potatoes. I will. Just great football team out there. That's where I know them. That's all. I'm really glad you said that. I'm gonna clip that so I can use it for all of our. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But moving on from Eduardo Bueno, is Yoel Romero the best fighter to never win a championship? Hey, guys, Yoel is now on a two-fight losing streak 0-2 against the champion. And at 42, I don't know if you can make another title run. Maybe if Paulo Costa gets the belt, looking back two or three years, when there was a big four middleweight with himself, Weidman, Rockhold, and Jacare, and Yoel beat, beat all of them. Also, big wins against Brunson, Machida, Kennedy, etc., and two close fights against Whitaker. Is he the best fighter to never win a championship? Or who else could it be? Who else could be not? Who else could it be the best? Okay, Faber, Henderson, Maya, etc. Well, I already said Joseph Benavides earlier in this call. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. I already I said. I think <laughs> Yoel Romero's way up there. Uh, I think he actually. I scored him winning the fight against Robert Whitaker, the second fight. Uh, but Uriah Faber is now that he's back. I should say he's probably. Maybe I'll, I'll rephrase my sentence. When I said Joseph Benavides is the best that has never won, maybe I meant best active fighter. But now that Uriah Faber is back, I think it's hard to argue against it's, it's not Uriah Faber. Dan Henderson obviously had the Pride Championships. Um, man, that's tough. It's really tough. I'll, I already said Joseph Benavides, so I'll say that because he's also beat everyone in the division not named Demetrius Johnson, who, who might very well be the greatest fighter who's ever lived. But I would like Pizzi. Who is the greatest fighter to never win a championship in UFC history? I mean, I, I, Mike Bisping used to be my go-to, but he had to go and shit yeah. all over that one by winning the belt. So, I mean, um, I mean, Yoel's a good shout. I think Yoel is very good. I mean, I mean he came so close uh, against Costa even. That was a, a tremendous fight. That was a crazy fight, three rounds. And I feel like second was a swing round because Yoel came back in that round a good bit after really eating in the first uh, half of the fight. Um, yeah, Yoel's a good shout. Joey B's a good shout. Uriah's a good shout. 
I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head to be honest with you. I'm not a, uh, I'm not, I'm not great with that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, Me? I think I think the ones that we like, Yoel's obviously way up there. Your eye favors now that he's back. I think he's kind of cemented himself as the best active. But I already said Joseph Benavides, and I don't want to flip flop, so I'll say Benavides. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 those it's those those three. I think I think Dustin uh, Tony Ferguson has the interim title, but if we're not counting interim championships, uh, yeah, Tony I, would be right up there. Tony, <laughs> Tony and Tony and Dustin Poirier would be way up there for for greatest. Uh, but if they if, if Dustin Wynn beats Habib and gets the undisputed crown, and uh, if 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 we are not cons- if we're not counting interim championships, I think it's Tony Ferguson because I think he's the greatest. Li- he could be the greatest lightweight ever. Uh, but I'll stay with Joseph Benavidez simply because I don't want to flip flop. Right, right. I'll just say Tony Ferguson then because I hate interim titles. But um, <laughs> that's one thing that's interesting about that Khabib fight. I mean, the shadow of Tony Ferguson doesn't seem to be looming largely over that fight yet. Maybe it will, but I really hope it does. You know, because um, you know we're seeing Diaz talk about Khabib a bit, like Khabib a bit, and you know that's that's an obvious uh, fight that a lot of people will want to see. You don't know whether Connor's going to throw an R in on fight week and stuff. It's just interesting that. Don't hear a lot about Tony Ferguson when they're talking about that Poirier and Khabib fight, and that's usually the way it is, you know. Well, I heard rumors, and I this is in no way breaking news. I heard rumors that someone asked Tony Ferguson to make weight for UFC 240. They asked if he would want to make weight for 242 to serve as a backup. Man, how disappointed would everyone in Abu Dhabi be if Khabib just went over there? Oh my God! Imagine if the imagine a world where if say Dustin Poirier gets hurt. Or like he did it before Nate, the Nate Diaz fight, and then that's how we get Tony Ferguson and Khabib. <laughs> Tony Ferguson killing it. <laughs> I couldn't agree I more, and I don't know if that's a true story. I just I've heard one, I've heard a handful of people bring it up, but we have a we're gonna move on because we could talk about greatest this and that for a long time. Uh, potential opponents for the bullet from from Dennis Hallman Speedo. You know you recognize that you recognize that all right. Potential opponent for the bullet. A lot of people are saying there aren't any real threats in the 125-pound division to Valentina's belt. Personally, I think the biggest threat is the 115-pound division. Rose Navajunas. Her striking accurate, her striking accuracy, speed, and athleticism are exceptional. I know Valentina would be the bigger fighter, and Rose's last loss was the result of being overpowered. However, I don't think Valentina would try to overpower her, but rather to pick her apart in a striking contest. I see Rose winning that style of fight. Thoughts? Uh, I don't think Rose would beat Valentina. I think Valentina is the best female yeah, fight, the best female fighter below 135 pounds. I think the big one right now is Jessica Andrade versus Valentina. I think a lot of people have been bringing that up. Andrade already said she'd be down to fight her. I think that that would be more interesting to me than Rose versus uh, uh, Valentina simply because Rose isn't the biggest strawweight. She's not like this. She's not a huge muscular like chiseled fighter like Andrade mm-hmm. or even. Uh, Claudia or or uh, Valentina and Valentina's beaten Holly Holm like she's beaten just uh, Juliana Pena so she's beating larger opponents so I I don't see Rose beating Valentina anytime soon I if and I don't think they're ever gonna fight. I feel like uh, Valentina's gonna be in a situation like Anderson was at middleweight to be honest where it's just it's, it's not it's not gonna be easy to dethrone her whatsoever and then someone's gonna come out of nowhere we're we're not gonna assume it's gonna happen and then bang it's gone. And I think she's one of the best fighters in the world at the moment, without a doubt. Um, I feel like she's probably going to be the most dominant champion uh, we've seen for a long, long time. And um, but you're you're probably right in the sense that the the opponent that will challenge her um, will will probably won't be from the 
from the 25 class. Like, I mean, you look at that situation there, Chikagian um, and stuff like that, just on the verge of fighting for that. It's like if you put together a three-fight win streak, three-fight, three-fight, four-fight win streak there, you're going for a title. Like, that's, it's nearly the same situation as John Jones is in. You're like, you're just, you're out on your own there at the top. And it's going to be very difficult to find a worthy challenger where we're all like, what's going to happen here? I just don't see that happening anytime soon with Valentina. Yeah, and I think the name that we haven't brought up is, and Casey Lydon, obviously, our cameraman extraordinaire, who I bring up many a time in this because we have to kill so much time with his fight talk during fight week. Um, he wants to see Valentina on her like work off her back. Like She's obviously one of the best strikers on the UFC roster, male or female. We really want to see what she would do against like an elite-level like grappler or wrestler. And I think a, a, a fighter that not many people bring up enough is Tatiana. She's not the smallest oh, yeah. star weight at all. Like Tatiana has Huge, a, yeah. elite level wrestling, a, an extreme like a suffocating top game, like a Habib or a Ben Askren. So I would really, I think her versus Valentina would be a very intriguing mm-hmm. matchup. That's a very good show, Jose. I must say, so, very very good show. You're welcome. Um, you're welcome I, and I will say about the, <laughs> I will say about Andrade, like. I believe she has her hands full in showing man. That's exactly what Valentina said. She's a beast. Valentina's like, why does she want to fight me? Like, she has Wiley Zhang next. Like, like, don't hold. Like, she's she has power in her hands too. She's not. That's not a. That's not a gimme fight for uh, Jessica Andrade whatsoever. No, no, and even you hear Joanna talking about her, and she's like, "That's a very tough girl." <laughs> like, there's no way, there's no shit talk. There's no, I've never heard of her. It's like, yeah, no, she's deadly. <laughs> I if if they didn't book Wiley Zhang versus uh, Jessica Andrade, and they had gone with Tatiana versus Andrade, I wanted Wiley Zhang versus Joanna really bad. <laughs> that yeah, would have. No, I know Zhang did as well, right? That, she was really pushing for that fight. Either one of those, but we're gonna move on because there's actually a lot of questions about Conor McGregor. I assume because you're on the show, so we're gonna oh. save that for the end. But another man Yay. from another man from your your side of the pond. So what's next for Leon Edwards? It it oh. it really is really likely that Masvidal is going to fight Nate Diaz next. And if someone had any doubts, now it's clear that Usman versus now that Usman versus Colby is going to happen. So what's next for Edwards? Should you wait for the winner of Usman versus Colby? I think that's risky. If Masvidal beats Nate, he definitely fights for the belt next. Maybe Edwards versus Woodley. Is a similar fashion of mm-hmm. Colby versus Lawler. Like you already are, like you are already the number one contender, but here's a former champion for you. That's very interesting. I never thought of Woodley versus Leon Edwards. That is similar to when Colby fought Lawler. He just kind of did the UFC a favor to get his name back in the in the title picture. So what is next for Leon Edwards, a man that you yourself said uh, doesn't get? You, you thought he didn't get enough shine simply because too many of his fights. We're overseas and not in the United States. He should be a bigger star. So, what do you think is next for Leon Edwards? I think you gotta you gotta fight Leon at Birmingham next, just because he obviously doesn't have the stock and the star power these guys have. But again, as we have said throughout this episode, if you show someone in their own neck of the woods, getting that big hometown pop, it, it compels everyone else. We're all sheep at the end of the day. Like, oh, people like him. I'm gonna like him too. That's how stupid we all are. But that really, really works. Um, it was actually a terrible weekend for European MMA in terms of how displaced our contenders became. Like, look at Hermanson. Hermanson was like, oh, well, I'm going to beat Cannonier and then I'll fight for the title or I'll fight Gastelum in uh, MSG. Now Tails calls him an MSG. 
who, who what's a bigger banner? It's Till and Gaslam, 100%. Um, Leon Edwards, everybody thought he was going to fight Masvidal next. Even Masvidal said it in an interview with yourself, I believe, or whoever of our team was talking to him. He was like, look, I'm going to fight him, but it's going to be on my terms. As soon as Nate Diaz did that post-fight thing, it was gone. It was gone, and, and for obvious reasons. Like, I mean, this is this is a bigger welterweight fight than Usman and Colby is going to be. Yeah. Probably by, by, like, multiples. So you can't blame the UFC. You can't blame the fans for wanting that fight. But unfortunately, Leon, you're left at a dead end. I feel as though they've got to put him in Birmingham, and they've got to give him a big opponent. Will you get Tyron Woodley to, challenge, to travel to Birmingham? Probably not. It's a lot of – they have a big situation on their hands with Edwards now, and they're going to have to solve it. Another person who was displaced, as I said to you earlier, was Jan, because it came out over the weekend that the UFC were looking at Aljo v. Faber. Edgar or yeah. Aljo v. Faber. Yeah. So, I mean, that's him. Like, I mean, everybody was talking about Aljo v. Jan before that, and that seems to be gone now. It seems to be all about Aljo v. Aljo v. Faber, Aljo v. Edgar, Aljo v. Cruz. He seems to be off – you know, he's not on the menu anymore, so – Massively displaced for the European contenders this weekend, I would say. But they've got to put Edwards in Birmingham if they're not going to give him a big banner fight. I think the thing that Peter Jan has going for him is our own Damon Martin spoke with Aljamain Sterling. And he seems interested in a possible yes. interim title fight with Peter Jan. Because those two are, like, Faber and Cruz and Edgar are big names. But if you're looking at who's the rightful contender, it's those two. And Aljamain Sterling seems to recognize that. So he had, he, I think what Jan has going for him is Aljamain spoke his name and interim title fight in the same sentence. So maybe that could be a co-main event down the line for a big pay-per-view. But Masvidal, Nate, like everyone keeps talking about Nate, Connor, three. That fight's not going anywhere. Like that fight you can book at any time it's going to be big. Jorge Masvidal is the most popular fighter on the UFC roster right now, not named Nate D. Those are the two biggest stars. If you look at our numbers on YouTube after UFC 241, the, big, the most viewed Videos are Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal's scrum. Like those are the two biggest videos, like metric wise. And, and, and Nate D and Jorge Masvidal said they're already negotiating. I don't know where it's going to be because that has to be five rounds. There's no way that's going to be a co-main event. Absolutely, it has to be a main event. Absolutely. It has to be a main event a pay-per-view. I think. I think that's one of the few fights that could headline a card, a pay-per-view without a title on the line. But there would technically be a title on the line because Nate Diaz said he has the baddest motherfucker in the world belt and he wants to defend it against Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal is like, let's do it. The problem is that the Jorge Masvidal didn't, doesn't want to fight at MSG because he doesn't want to deal with the New York State Athletic Commission because he said they were rough around the edges and they didn't treat him right when he fought Stephen Thompson. Mm -hmm. The next card would be the, I think it's like 245, 246, I can't remember the exact number. But that's the um, the MSG uh, the new the the Las Vegas card in December because they're not doing the New Year's Eve card and that already has Amanda Nunes versus Jermaine Durandamy as the as the title fight like you're not going to put Nate Masvidal uh, over the greatest female fighter of all time in that rematch so mm -hmm. if they do fight I bet it would be in January and it would be a big pay per view and I don't know where imagine Nate versus uh, Jorge Masvidal in that big that brand new San Francisco arena that they built up in NorCal because San Francisco is ha, has the nicest arena close close to Stockton. Like you'd stick it in Sacramento, you could stick it in Oakland, but I think Nate versus Masvidal in San Francisco, you want to talk about a hero's welcome? Like that arena I is going to like explode when Nate walks out and I don't think you're going to hear louder boos ever than when Jorge Masvidal walks out. That's East Coast West Coast right there. Like, Masvidal represents Miami, Nate Diaz represents Stockton. Like, that is, like, 
as Nate, as our as our coworker Jed Mishu says, like this is gang this is gang shit right here. So I think it's it, it's it, coming it, with the Blanchard sound, will you? He needs to sort out a few things out here for me. Exactly. Yeah, get out here. We yeah. Peacemaker on these streets. <laughs> Jed, don't you, think it lasts too long, though. <laughs> I don't think you would want Jed to be a peacemaker. Jed would talk his way into a fight. Jed could talk his way into a fight with anybody. But I think Nate Masvidal in San Francisco, because you notice uh, Michelle Watterson, Joanna was tied to the San Francisco area before they switched to Tampa Bay. If they go back to San Francisco, I think Nate Masvidal in San Francisco in that brand new state of the art arena would be massive that would be that would be connor versus diego in dublin that would be uh darren till versus stephen thompson in liverpool like that would be stipe over in cleveland like that is the fight you have to do and but i mean it doesn't even matter to nate diaz he's already a bigger name than all of these people we've been talking about like they need this hometown thing it would just further underline um his situation but i do think um you know connor probably did uh was kindly slightly slighted by Nate not saying he mentioned it on that Instagram post. Like I, I believe that Nate Diaz is probably looking at all the shit going down with Connor and going, Well mate, like this fight isn't gonna happen anytime soon. Like this like why use this moment when I, I he chooses his moment so well. Why use this moment to pitch a fight that has been perpetually pitched for the last three or four years? You know, like why, why just say the same thing again and have nothing happen? I, I think that's how he feels about it now. I don't think he thinks there's a guarantee that that happens now. So he's taken himself out of that equation. He's no longer stuck to the Conor McGregor storyline. It's the Nate Diaz storyline now. That's what I really felt about that. He has changed. He has changed pace. I'm no longer reliant on this uh, this opponent, um, this man I'll be linked to anymore. He is clearly making a step away from that to try and isolate himself as a star rather than him and Connor. That's how I felt about it. And I'm really glad you brought this up because we're running, we're running short on time anyway. So I will ask you, this is a very long question, so I'll pretty much right. condense it. Connor McGregor from Hefe01. Why does Connor sound like a thirsty ex-girlfriend every time one of his exes fight? And then he goes on this big long rant like, seems like every time one of his ex-opponents shows up and does well, he can't resist throwing his name into the hat. Happens regularly, like when Max Holloway just in Poirier uh, and talk about the Habib fight. If you're not fighting, that's cool, but don't use fighting to keep your name relevant in the fight game. Yes, Nate and Jorge Masvidal both took breaks from the fighting, but they were not insistent on keeping their name in every other headline fight fight related. It seems to me that Connor has more of an ego than a will to actually be relevant again through fighting. Your thoughts? So I think you kind of started this, but it seems every time one of Connor's ex opponents fights. He's there tweeting about like great fight lads or like I'll fight you like so and so like you've been around Connor probably more than and his team more probably more than anyone journalist in MMA. What's going on? Why does he throw his name into these into these situations when his ex opponents fight? Yeah, I certainly did. I, I think I have spent a lot like compared to any other journalist probably more time around Connor than a lot of people, but I, not recently. You know, not yeah. not for the last few years. Um, you know, whatever. But um. I, I feel as though, and a lot of people have said this to me, that it's it's not about kind of keeping his name relevant with his previous opponents. They think it's simply a exercise now. Whereas he's getting some which negative headlines, he needs positive headlines and things things to, like, you know, so we're not talking about what allegedly happened in a Dublin pub. We're talking about the potential of a Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor trilogy, which will bake all the records. Like, that could be what it's about as well. This man is a brand. Like, if you you haven't realized that, you need to realize it now. Like, he is bigger than uh, needing to fight in MMA. Like, that's the situation he's in now. 
So, I, I, like, a lot of people, though, the latest one was, like, um, a way to distance himself from the, the, the negative press he had got earlier in the week. And, and I don't know, but I do feel as though he, he probably felt slighted by what happened. You know, what, by what happened there with Nate, Nate not saying his name, Nate not getting the whole fan base uh, interested in that trilogy fight, him completely changing lanes and going to Masvidal. Like, that could, that's one of the theories. Um, you know, the Conor I knew always wanted a fight. Like, I mean, it was literally, I can remember when um, the fight that was originally meant to headline uh, UFC Dublin the year after his one was um, Poirier and Joe Duffy. And Joe Duffy got pulled. Yeah. And I can remember him saying to us, like, I'll fight him. Fuck, like, just send me in. Like, that was the type of guy he was. Like, I mean, he just wanted to go all the time. He certainly has become a lot more selective as his star has grown. And, and that's probably the, the more intelligent way to play a game. But... Honestly, I, I, I don't know what, what the tweets are about and stuff like that. Like, um, you know, uh, I honestly don't know. I, I feel as though it is a way to um, change change the narrative, though. That's that's basically what he's trying to do. And I can tell you that some people are a little annoyed by it. Like, I think it was Gavin Tucker or I can't remember who tweeted. Like, he fought at UFC 240 and it was, um, oh, man, who? Uh, Mark, Mark Goddard was just the referee, and it was a prelim fight. And, like, you know Connor and Mark Goddard have history. And, like, Connor just had to throw his name into that fight. And then someone goes, hey, yeah. what did you make of Connor's tweets? And he's like, I, and Gavin Tucker's like, I don't care, man. Like, enough of, like, who cares what he tweets? Like, he's, it's not all about him because, like, it seems like the first question, he wins his first fight in, like, two years. And the story is, hey, they tweeted at you. Like, who cares? And I'm like, hey. I, you said it better than anyone else I've heard so far. Like, who cares what Connor says? He's I've fought. I've been more active than him, and I've been away for two years. Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I, I say it again. Like, I, I feel as though the only way Connor can really get back to where he was is fighting and winning. Like, it's not fighting and losing. It's not fighting and and trying really hard and coming up short. The only way he can get back to where he was is to do something like Nate Diaz did, and that is not easy. That is absolutely not easy. I think the win. I think though he should fight the winner of uh, either fight Anthony Pettis. I think that's a fun fight. That's like a stylistic matchup. I think would benefit both fighters, like a stand-up striker versus stand-up striker, both very flashy uh, strikes. Or maybe the winner or loser of Cowboy Gaethje. I know the Cowboy fight is one that's been interested. Like if Connor beats Cowboy, who has the most fights. The UFC, that's a that's something to hang your hat on, and then Justin Gaethje, I think, is not a smart fight for Conor McGregor whatsoever. But it's an exciting fight. Like again, we've said it. Like Justin Gaethje versus like a door would be an exciting fight. So yeah. uh, there's not. A, there's... But for us, for us, like I mean, the, the the thing with Conor is that he's at this level now where he doesn't want to fight unless it's going to break. Red. He doesn't yeah. want to fight unless the world stops. Like I can remember, um, I can't remember what fight was being talked about. But there was a fight being talked about at one stage with Conor. And, like, you know, in the media, people are saying this would be a great fight or whatever. And at that time, it was only a few months ago, all I heard was he's only interested in fighting Nate and Khabib. Like, and you're like, what? You know, this is crazy. Like, yeah, like, yeah. We, we get it. But, like, yeah, we get it. But Conor's a yeah. brand now. Like, he's not going to fight anyone that won't yeah. shatter records and everything. But uh, we could talk about Conor McGregor with Pete Carroll for an entire episode. But we are out of time. Pete as always... The floor is yours for any promo. And my, I, I, there's a few questions I saw and I didn't answer because they are specifically I wanted to say for my promo. PC, the floor is yours, though. I don't really have one again. But, um, you know, I'd just like Darren Till to commit one way or the other. That's mm. why I think this has just come to me right now. We need him to either say, you're going to be at welterweight or you're going to be at 185 because it's just making me uneasy. I just need to know 
what, where you want to go. I don't care which one it is, but we need a proper plan put in place here because us European fans, we don't have a lot going on for us apart from all them brilliant titles we're fighting for later on in the year. <laughs> don't forget that. But just tell us which one it's going to be. Just tell us. Is it going to be Gastelum at MSG? Is it going to be Robbie Lawler, which he told us he wanted to do on Eurobash? Which one is it? I, I'm getting excited, and I don't know where to put my excitement. So just chill. Tell us where it's going to be, man. Please. And answer the phone. It's been too long. I was here before all these guys. Talk to me. Talk to no one else. That's all I have to say. Yeah, that. Darren, I would really appreciate it if you only gave interviews to MMAfighting.com. Hey, thanks. But... <laughs> 